Yeah. So uh, if you got a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to James 5. Um, James 5. Uh, we're going to be um, going from verse 7 to verse 12. James 5, verse 7 uh, through 12. And so um, before we get there, uh, there was a pilot. His name is Gerard Lawrence, South African pilot. Uh, he wanted to take his friend up into a flight um, just so this friend can experience flying. However, Gerard did not realize that the flight would go the way that it went. And so Gerard's up there with his friend. He's flying the plane. He's doing maneuvers. He's flipping around. And his friend gets frightened. Friend gets scared. And he grips the seat. And the friend was so excited that he accidentally grabbed the jet lever. Oh, wow. And so his friend flew up 320 feet above the plane, like the canopy open. He flew up. And he floated down because the, 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 the parachute deployed. And uh, with all that force, it was a miracle that he wasn't hurt. And uh, I can imagine being that guy. Like, you think you're going on a nice leisurely stroll on a plane, and then all of a sudden you end up floating in a chair thousands of feet above South Africa, right? And so uh, uh, that, that's a long way down. So I know this guy was probably floating above South Africa, wondering how in the world did he get himself here? And I'm going somewhere with this, because I'm, I'm sure he fully intended to complete the airplane ride inside the plane. But the turbulence, the movements of the plane caused this guy to pull the ejection lever before he was finished with the ride. And I thought that was an appropriate metaphor um, for our lives often. And I say this because we fully attend, all of us, we attend to live life well. I've never met somebody who attends to quit or, or, or attends to live a bad life in the future, right? We fully intend to live life well. We fully intend to meet our commitments. And yet what happens is the turbulence of life comes and it hits us. Disappointment comes. Unmet expectation comes. The suffering comes. And with it, frustration. And in those moments when you're overcome with frustration, we often think that frustration is always an indication to pull the jet lever in life. What I mean by that is we think often frustration is an indication for us to simply cry out, God, get me out of here. So you get frustrated with people, you pull the ejection lever, you end the relationship. You get frustrated with work and you say, you know what, I'm going to find a new job, I'm done with it. You get frustrated even with the church and you stop going or you go find a new one. But I will submit to you today that your first response to the frustrations of life should not be to roll out. When frustration or the, when the frustration indicator light blinks on the dashboard of your life, most of the time, God is not calling you to immediately eject. He's telling you to buckle up. He's telling you to brace yourself. He's not telling you to run. He's telling you to remain. You know, sometimes we'll use our frustration as indications that God is moving us to a new season. But more often than not, God is using our frustrations to grow us in the same old season. How? Because it is in your frustration that he's trying to teach you and grow you in one of the qualities that demonstrates the Spirit's work in your life. He's trying to grow you in patience. And so James says much about this in James 5, 7 through 12. So let me take a moment to read it. It says this. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the earth and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 
as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let me take a moment to pray real quick. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that no matter what we go through in life, no matter the frustrations and the pains that we experience, that you are with us, that you'll never forsake us. And that even in those moments when we're frustrated, you're growing us. You're teaching us the fruit of patience. And we will not be disappointed if we learn that lesson. So God, will you help us to know it? Will you help us to rely on you, Jesus, who not only is willing to give patience, you, 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 you expressed it. So, Father, will you help us today by the power of your spirit? Help us to understand your word, hear it, and respond to it in faith and obedience. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so James 5, 7 through 12, if you got your Bibles, you see that word patience repeated all throughout that text. And an indication of when you're studying the Bible about what the text is about is that when you see words repeated, that's a good indication that's to what the text is about. And you, see, you see patience repeated time and time again. And patience, I feel like, is one of those qualities that we all desperately want and need. However, while we want the destination of patience, nobody wants to process, especially in our culture. Y'all, we live in a culture of immediate gratification, instant gratification. But listen to me today. God has not used someone greatly that he did not cause to wait. So you look at a guy like Joseph and we read the Bible and we're like, y'all want to be like Joseph. And I say, you know what? Joseph actually awaited approximately 11 years in prison before he was elevated to the second person of influence in Egypt. You may look, say, hey, you know what? Maybe not Joseph. I want to be like Moses. Well, let me talk about Moses. Moses spent 40 years in Midian tending sheep. Think about that. That's the equivalent to 1983 until now doing the same thing. Like for us, we can't keep a job for 40 days. And Moses is out here doing the same old job day in, day out for 40 years until God grabs him and uses him to lead God's people. Y'all, so many people, you look at David, you look at Abraham, you name them, God's used waiting in their lives as a tool to grow them. And, the, and this same God is alive and well today. And God is saying to you, listen, I know you want to get there, wherever there is. I know you want to go where you want to go. I know you want to get over the health crisis. I know you want to get married. I know you want to have the children. I know you want to see the results. I know you want to see the growth. But you're going to have to trust me on this one because I'm doing something in your life and I don't operate on your timetable. He's trying to do a work in you. See, the first two words of this passage says, be patient. And the word patience is a Greek compound word and it's called macrodumeo, right? Macro is a word that means long, and domeo actually means rage. And so that phrase has this idea of a person um, that's in a situation that is pushing their buttons. They can't stand it anymore, and it's teaching them to be long in rage, long to anger. And all of this implies that you're in a situation that you don't like. And this is why patience is one of the many things that you are tempted to pray for and then pull back and say, no, nah, I don't want to pray for that. 
because you know that when you start asking for patience, that God is going to put you in a position where you have the opportunity to actually grow some patience. It's going to put you in a position or a situation where you don't like it. And you know, like muscle grows under the pressure of weight, you grow in patience under the pressure of frustration and trial. Listen, you don't learn patience when everything is going well. You don't. You only learn patience when you get another invitation. You're single. You get another invitation to a wedding. And you get invited to wear another bridesmaid's dress. All the while wondering when is your time. You only learn patience when you get married and you wanted the big family. But years in marriage, battling infertility. And all the while you're constantly hearing stories in our culture where people are getting pregnant. And they don't want to be. And you're thinking, here I am being faithful. Patience. You only learn patience when you're waiting for the results back from the doctor. You only learn patience when you see the family and the friends walking away from God and all you desire to do is to trust in Jesus, but it's hard. That's patience. You're in a situation where your bank account can't fix it, your intellect can't fix it, and you're in it and you can't control it. And the Puritans, what they call this, they call this a school of waiting. And this school can actually teach you something if you will let it. Uh, one Puritan, Andrew Murray, he said this. He said, at the first entrance into our school of waiting upon God, the heart is mainly set on the blessings that on the blessings which we wait for. God graciously uses our needs and desires for help to educate us for something higher than we were thinking of. We're seeking the gifts. He, the giver, longs to give himself and to satisfy the soul with his goodness. It is just for this reason that he often withholds the gifts and at the time of and that the time of waiting is made so long. He is constantly seeking to win the heart of his child for himself. He wishes that we would not only say when he bestows the gift, how good is God? But that long before it comes and even if it never comes, that we should all the time be experiencing that it is good that a man should quietly wait. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. All this to say this, in your waiting, God is taking you to school to know him, to learn his goodness. And my way of analogy, man, I went to so many, I went, uh, so many people that I went to high school with uh, skipped school to run in the streets, right? And when I see them now, they always tell me, man, if I could do it all over again, I would have given myself to school rather than skipping it. And listen, you're going to be tempted to skip God's school of waiting. But hear me here today. There are worse things than sitting in God's school of waiting. There's a worse thing than sitting in God's school of waiting is this. It's wishing that you had. It's wishing that you had, it's wishing that you had waited on. So what is God trying to teach us in the school of waiting? What is, trying to, what is he trying to teach us in these situations? Let me give you a couple of things before I sit down. One, he's trying to teach you the purpose of waiting. The purpose of patience. Listen, God may be using the frustrations in your life to teach you this fact that earth is not your home. Earth is not your home. Look at the end of verse 7. If you got a Bible, look at it. Verse 7, it says, James, well, James encourages these ethnic Jewish believers to be patient for what? It says to be patient until the coming of the Lord. And here's, he's applying that as long as you are living on this side of eternity, there's always going to be an opportunity for you to experience and to grow in patience. And this patience is going to help you to long for heaven. 
You see, listen, frustration and hardships find their internal death at heaven's gates. And this should fill you with hope. A mother Teresa, she actually once said this, and I love this quote. She said, compared to the glories of heaven, the worst of pains will, will seem like one bad night at a sheep hotel. And that helps me so much in life. Because here's the thing, our problem is that we think that we could do something in this life that would make it frustration and pain-free. And I've heard it said uh, time and time again that the human heart is always in search for paradise. And we can't seem to find it. And by example, uh, I feel like uh, there's all these reality shows these days. Uh, but there was a short-lived show um, that was a reality show, and it was called Eden. Literally called Eden, right? And this show, what it did was it took 22 contestants and dropped them off in this very excited, uh, exotic locale. It was nice. It was paradise. And they, they left all of their frustrations and dramas of modern life behind. And together, they were tasked with building this new and perfect civilization from scratch. And it's so interesting that one contestant on this show, um, that um, uh, she, she made this quote about the whole experiment. She said this. She said, in theory, it could have been great. It was an opportunity to escape the conflicts and materialism of modern life. But she was actually wrong. Before the show even aired, 12 people quit. And the show didn't even air because it was so filled with bullying and sexism. And the show was canceled after four episodes. So it's crazy because they, they were living on a show called Eden. They were living in paradise. But Eden didn't leave them satisfied. Paradise proved elusive. And I say all that to say is uh, they illustrate what is true of all of us. Our hearts are in search of paradise. We think that we're going to find Eden in the marriage, in the next relationship, in the next job. You think you're going to have Eden when you find the family, when you get the house, or when you retire. And it may be good for a while, but it will not cure your discontentment. It will not solve your frustration in life. Have you ever thought about it this way? Could God be allowing the frustrations and discontentment in life to challenge you to long for a place better than Eden? Could God be allowing the frustration in your life to teach you to long for eternity with Jesus? If you are in Christ, if you trusted and believed in him, heaven is in your future. And here's the thing. In this life, there are going to be some issues that you can't scratch. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. He says, he says I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it my main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. All this to say this. Frustration should remind you that this isn't your home. And I'm not telling you to settle for mediocrity. But when you are experiencing frustration and pain, your first, your first question should not be, God, will you rescue me? It should be, God, will you use this frustration to grow me? And one thing that God is growing you in is, that, is your appetite for heaven. Listen, when your appetite for heaven is growing, listen, you'll see your illness differently. While God is not the cause of your illness, he is sovereign over your sickness, and he will use it to build your appetite for the place that exists where there is no longer doctors needed. 
When your appetite for heaven is growing, you will see your drama differently. He'll use the drama of your life to grow your appetite for the place where there is eternal peace. And not only is this passage telling you what you need, what you should be waiting for, it's actually teaching you how to wait as well. And so you could be tempted to be hopelessly passive if we stop here. To just kick up your feet, relax, and just to sit around until heaven happens. But James is describing here how we should wait as well. So he also describes the look of patience. So what does patience look like? Look at the end of verse 7. You look like a farmer. Look at the end of verse 7. It says this. It says, see, I think it's the end of verse 7. Yes, here it is. It says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I love, I love this. Farming, he uses this farming as an illustration for patience. But farming is hard work. Farming isn't passive. Like no farmer I know sits up and kisses feet up and just says crops grow. Right? And so my brother, my, my mom knows this. My mom grew up in North Carolina. She grew up as part of a sharecropping family. Right? And so if y'all don't know what sharecropping is, sharecropping was pretty much, you know, somebody gave you a plot of land, told you to work it, you got to live there, and you had to pay them. Right? Honestly, it was kind of like a legalized form of slavery. Right? But she grew up working hard, and she understood something that I don't know, because I don't work on a farm, that farming isn't passive. Right? They don't simply sit on the porch and, and wait for the crops to grow. No, a farmer works hard. They plant, plant, plant. They water, water, water. They till, till, till. And day after day, month after month, year after year, they do this, but also knowing that unless God sends the rain, the labor's in vain. And so all this to say that patience is not passive resignation. It's active. Like when, it's me working to trust the Lord, doing his will, and trusting him to do the things that are in his control alone to do. Y'all, y'all, we see this in the Apostle Paul. So Paul spent most of his ministry locked up in jail. And it's interesting for what he doesn't pray for. When Paul's locked up, he, he never prays to get busted out. That's interesting. Like if I get locked up, first thing I'm praying for, God, get me up out of here. But Paul never prays for that. He could have said, hey, God, can you send an earthquake that you did like that one time that you got me and, Alex, that's me and Silas out like a while back? Like, give me another one of those. But he doesn't do that in Acts 12. Or he could have looked at Peter and be like, hey, Peter, the way you broke him out, can you break him? Can you break me out of jail? No, I, I love it. There's one passage that Paul is in prison and he prays not for God to get him out, but he prays for an open door in the prison, not for him to escape, but for him to preach the gospel. This is what he does. I love it because he's sitting in jail. He's saying, listen, God, I'm in this frustrating season right now. And instead of praying, God, eject me, would you help me to see the opportunity of my suffering? God, I'm in a hard time right now. But would you help me make the most of it for your glory? And listen, here's the thing. You have to get to a place where your pity party is over to actually experience the fruit of patience. Y'all, we grieve. We feel the pain. We feel the loss. But when we're patient, we're praying to God, God, helping to make the most of it. So you may be thinking, Eric, like, okay, cool. That's how I should be patient. But what, what, what are the opportunities I have for patience in this life? Let me give you a couple of things, and I'm going to and I'm going to sit down. See, one one setting for patience in your life is going to be that God is going to bring difficult people your way. Difficult people. 
What I appreciate about this text is that James is writing to ethnic Jews. So when he says the phrase, do not grumble, we, we see that in this text in, in verse 9, do not grumble against one another. Their minds immediately went back to the Exodus. So if you know the Exodus, God rescues his people from slavery, frees them. He's leading them to the promised land. And yet the people grumble and complain against the accommodations along the way. They don't like the food. They're scared. They say they will be better off in Egypt. And a journey that should have took them a few weeks actually took them 40 years to make. And you may ask why. It's because they grumbled and complained. They had no place to grumble and complain because God had rescued them. And hear me today, neither do we. Neither do we. He says in verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. The judge is standing at the door. God is going to bring you frustrating people in your life, and you're going to be tempted to believe that this person that's causing me frustration, that is God's indication for me to cut off the relationship. There may be times in your most precious relationship that you could be tempted to cut people off. But here in this text, God says, don't grumble against one another. Be patient with other people because God in that moment is trying to teach you a little bit about his patience with you. God has been so patient with you. And when you remember the patience of God, it creates in you a patience for other people. And when you grumble against other people rather than being patient with them, it kills what God is trying to do in you as it relates to other people. God wants to do a work in you. He wants to grow you in love towards the people in your church, the people in your house, the people all over, even at your work. And yet when you begin to grumble like the people of Israel, you're not there yet. Be patient with people because God has been so patient with you. We see this in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us has sinned against God. And when we sin against God, God will be just and right to condemn us forever, to cast us off far from himself. But God in that moment was patient with us. He didn't blow off and cut us off forever. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, for us. And Jesus came and lived a perfect life and full obedience to his father. And we see his perfection displayed in his patience on earth. He was so patient with the people around him, so patient with his disciples when they failed to get it. He was perfect. And yet, having no sin for which to die, he died in our place for our sin, for our sin, for our impatience. And he rose again in power, proving that he's God and that he's victorious over sin, death, and the grave. So that anybody that would come to him, you can have eternal life, you can have a relationship with God, and you can experience the perfect patience of a good father. And this is what enables you to live life well in relationship to other people. But not only do we need patience with difficult people, we also need patience in difficult circumstances. I'm going to share this with you and I'm going to sit down. But here he gives some examples of people who have demonstrated patience in hard times. I love it. He mentions the prophets here. He says, do not grumble against one another, brother, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Listen, when he said this to Jews, they would know who these prophets are. He said, look at the prophets. Look at Jeremiah. God had Jeremiah preach to a people that would not listen. And he told Jeremiah, I'm going to have you preach sermons for all these years and nobody's going to listen to you. They called Jeremiah the weeping prophet because Jeremiah preached from the age of 17 
for 40 years. For 40 years and nobody listened to him. For people to turn back to God and nobody listened. You know what that took for him to keep going? Patience. People like Hosea, he was a prophet. And God tells Hosea, hey, listen, just like the people have been unfaithful to me, I'm going to use you for a little illustration for the people. You see, I have this covenant with my people and they keep cheating on me and I've been so faithful to them. So Hosea, I need you to do something. I want you to be a demonstration of my love and patience. So I need you to go downtown. I need you to meet a woman named Gomer and I want you to marry her. And I'm going to tell you up front, your marriage is not going to be pretty. It's not going to be great. In the words of the philosophers, TLC, she's going to creep on you time and time and time and time again. And when she does, you go get her. Because when my people cheat on me, I go get them. You know what it took for Hosea to do that? Patience. Because like these prophets, God wants you to be pictures of patience. He wants you to be patient, not just with the people, but also with God. And here we even see Job. He even mentions Job in this text, I believe. And one day Job has it all and then Job loses it all. Riches gone. He's at a funeral where up front are 10 caskets for every single one of his kids. Health gone. And all he has left is a nagging wife. And even in the midst of all of that, Job says that there is something that he knows. He says, I know that my redeemer lives. Listen, when you're in a hard situation and things don't feel great, hear me. You need to let what you know about God trump how you feel in the moment. And Job is saying, life is not good right now. But I know this, that God is alive, that he's present, and that he's working even when I don't understand. So I can be patient. You see, our issues with patience is an issue of perspective. We tend to trust our perspective way too much. I know I do. Past weekend, my wife and I were in the car. And we're having a disagreement about something, I forget. And my wife pauses in the middle of the disagreement. And she says, Eric, you see, that's the issue. You're not always right. And so immediately I began to argue with her and then I paused and then like she gave me a look and it hit me like she's right uh, because right then I was about to argue about how I'm right about not always being right. <laughs> it's ironic and it's crazy. But here's my issue. I trust my perspective way too much. I think that the way that I see things has to be right all the time. And if it makes sense to me, it's right. And I'm not the only one that's here like that. Hear me. You trust your perspective way too much. You're in the throes of frustration and pain and you may be in something right now. You're waiting. You can't understand why you have to wait right now. You're saying, God, I don't get it. God, I don't understand it. If I'm God, I would do things differently. And God is saying, trust me, be patient. You're not always right. You have to trust the fact that it is true that all things work for the good of those that love me who are called according to my purpose. And today, listen, I think this passage is for many of you right now because right now you are waiting on God and it's hard. And if that's you, man, I never do this, but if that's you, I simply want to encourage you to do this. Don't want to embarrass you, but I want you to take a moment to pray for you, right? So there's somebody here and you feel like you're waiting on something. You might just raise your hand and just acknowledge that. And I just want to simply take a moment to pray for you. Anybody here simply waiting on something? 